Oh, I can't believe it, but we're already in part four, our final week of Overwhelmed, and I've had uh, a lot of really good response and feedback from this series. Um, I was at wing night last Monday night with some of the men at, at Buffalo's, and uh, they were saying, they were, some of them were like, Pastor, you just need to preach this series exactly the same again next month. You just, just don't change anything. And I was like, well, that would be great. That would like cut down on my prep time because I've already written the sermons. But, I, you know, I think the reason, the bottom line is that we're all, we all face overwhelming circumstance. Every one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, doesn't matter what's in your bank account, doesn't matter. Any of those things, it's, it's, it's true to all of us. And maybe you're feeling overwhelmed today. I just pray the Spirit of God comes, and He's already here, but that He would speak to you today, a right now word, rhema, prophetic word today. In part one, we, we did some evaluation to find out how overwhelmed we were. In part two, we talked about overwhelming peace. And I don't know, that may have been the, the sermon that really got me the most, because I... I, I it was revelation to me the path to peace wasn't what we normally expect. You know, just pray more. Just have more faith. You know, just all those things that we think and the pathway to peace was, was kind of unexpected. It doesn't always come through God removing the problem. It doesn't always come through God giving us closure or taking away the disappointment or the pain. It actually comes through a renewed mind and a renewed mind doesn't filter things in the world the same way that a troubled mind does. A renewed mind doesn't filter life through pain and disappointment. It isn't focused on pain or anxiety or fear. Listen, a renewed mind is one that will rest in the matchless love of Jesus Christ. Wow. Perfect peace comes through perfect love. I never saw, I've been in this thing a long time, y'all, and I never preached this. I never saw it that way. So I don't know about anybody else, but it was revelation to me, and I hope it was to you as well. And then last week, we got very specific, didn't we? We talked about one of the biggest stressors in our lives, one of the leading causes of divorce, one of the leading causes of suicide. We talked about money. Money, 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 money. Sorry. I'm weird that way. Okay. I think of songs when I say it anyway. We studied the words of Christ, and who better to teach us about this important thing? He talked a lot about it. So we learned the true place that money should have in our lives, and we discovered that the burden of Jesus is actually quite manageable because he's created us to do it. Except we, we try to live up to somebody else's expectations. We try to, listen folks, if we want to come out from this overwhelmed feeling with money and with success and with what uh, we got to stop looking to our right and to our left. We have to stop looking at what everybody else is doing, how, how much everybody else has, what somebody else is driving, where somebody else lives, how talented somebody else is, and just simply look at what Jesus has put in our hands. That's all he asks of us. Take the pressure off and just look at what he's given you and do something with it with his strength, for his glory, for the kingdom of God. That's it. My God, that's good. And here's the deal. The promise that comes with that, aren't you thankful when there's a promise that comes with it, if we'll do it? The promise that comes with it is that if we'll do that, we will have rest 
for our souls. And He will meet all of our needs. Powerful. If you missed any of those sermons, they're available. I know we have a lot of folks that are new here today. At newlifecanton.com, you can look at any of our past sermons or you can download our app. Today, I want to end our series with the subtitle, Overwhelming Victory. Overwhelming Victory. Say that with me. Overwhelming Victory. And just like the previous messages, almost every single one of them, I was headed over here. I had the title, Overwhelming Victory, and I'm thinking, we're going to have a party. I mean, overwhelming, I'm I'm headed over here to party world, and the Holy Spirit starts going over here, and I'm like, "What? wait, no, it's it's a party. He's like, wait, no, there's more to it than that. And so it's not where I started this message, is not where we ended up. Before I pray, I want to give you the foundational text for our message. Romans chapter 8, verse 35, Paul says, can anything ever separate us? From Christ's love. Now listen to what he says. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Everybody look at me. Does it mean that God no longer loves you if something bad happens to you? Does he mean he's forgotten you if tragedy strikes your family? Does it mean you're being punished if a loved one gets sick or one of your children gets into trouble? Does it mean that God has abandoned you if crisis comes into your life? Paul answers in verse 37. He says, no. Somebody shout no. 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 He says, despite all these things, despite all these problems, Overwhelming victory. There's our title. Overwhelming victory is ours through Jesus Christ who loves us. Overwhelming victory is ours. Father, I feel this from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet today. I've got some, you've given me some tough things to say and I pray that it would be received in the spirit that it is given. And I pray we would receive it, Lord, and it would become prophetic and powerful in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. In one of the previous churches that I served, there was a man who lost his son, young adult son, in a car accident. Right before I got there to serve, this had happened. And I got to know this man and become friends with this man. And in a private moment, He shared with me, you know, Pastor Allen, you know, it was obviously the loss was devastating and we're still grieving. We're still dealing with that loss. He said, but even worse were these thoughts that would torment me. Was it something I did? Was it a sin in my life that caused this, that I'm being punished for? This is not a new feeling. This is not a new emotion. As a matter of fact, Jesus bumped up against it on many occasions. This punishment mentality with God. In in John 9, they, they come across, he and his disciples come across a blind man, been blind since birth. And instead of the disciples being helpful and being like, what can we do for this man? Maybe you can heal him, Lord. They instead, that the first thing out of their mouth is, what did he do? Who sinned? 
Was it his parents? Or was it him? Who sinned? He's obviously being punished. Who sinned? And Jesus is like, no, no, come on, guys. You're not getting it. Nobody's being punished. It's not because of any sin. God has allowed this suffering into his life for this very moment. That my name would be glorified. Now, we all know that there are consequences to our actions. There are consequences to our sin on earth. Amen? I'm not trying to get around that. I'm not trying to skirt around that issue. But what I am saying, and what I want you to hear me today, is that Satan uses our mind against us. His greatest talent is deception. And one of his biggest lies is about the character and the nature of God. If he can convince you, if he can convince us that our heavenly father is just up in heaven with a lightning bolt just waiting for us to mess up so that he can hurl judgment and pain upon us or our children or our family, then he knows, Satan knows he's going to win the battle in our mind. Because see, that line of thinking, that punishment mentality is flawed. It's theologically incorrect. It is biblically incorrect. And it is dangerous. Because it will lead us down a very dark path away from God. And that's all Satan cares about. Get us away from the Father. Let's look at what else Paul says about this. Are you all ready for the word today? It's, 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 it's a doozy, but it's good. Okay, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. Paul says, Satan, who is the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news or the gospel. They don't understand. Say understand. They don't understand. Have you ever met somebody who just, I mean, you watch these CNN, MSNBC, whatever, these talking heads, and when they get on Christianity, help me. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ who is the exact likeness of God. Paul is saying that people who refuse to believe in Jesus, people who reject the gospel, will never understand the nature of God. They will never see the spiritual reality that is playing out around us. I've said this before. I'm going to say it today, and I'm going to say it in the future. Look at the screen. We live our lives as Christians behind enemy lines. Paul calls Satan the God, little g. He's not sovereign. The God of this world. And Satan has the vast majority of humanity deceived. You understand that? The majority of the people alive right now on this planet live in deception. He has such a grip on some people that they will do horrendous things, things that we can't even imagine a, a one human could do to another, and that's because it's demonic. All you have to do is take a quick glance at the news and you can see the influence of Satan and his demons in this world. In January, 20 Christians were blown up as they were worshiping God in the Philippines. Last week, uh, there were over 50 killed, or two weeks ago, in New Zealand. From February to March, there have been hundreds 
Hundreds of Christians slaughtered in Nigeria because of their faith. And that continues to this very moment. It's evil. It's demonic. We've got to call it what it is. It's the direct influence of Satan. We cannot stick our, you know, we can. We can stick our head in the sand all day long, but it doesn't change reality. My point is this. Look at the screen. We are at war. And in war, there are casualties. People you know, people I know, you, me, we are all affected. So we need to open our eyes, folks, and understand the spiritual reality that is constantly playing out around us. It's not a fairy tale, it's not make believe, it's not Hollywood. We either believe this book or we go to the house. Come on. I don't want to waste your time. We either believe this thing or we don't. Now, I know this is heavy. (laughs) This is not where I was going today. I was going to be like really encouraging. It was like overwhelming victory. You know, my mom gets on to me all the time. She watches these sermons. She's probably watching right now. And afterwards, she's like, oh, Alan, that was really good. Um, you need to lighten up just a little bit on your people. Just a little bit. I'm sorry, mother. I'm sorry. You need to pray harder or something. I don't know. But here's what I, here's what I thought about. You can't have a victory without a battle. I didn't put that on the screen. I should have. You can't have a victory without a battle. But let me give you some encouragement. We need to understand that getting hurt, wounded, that attacks, all these things... It's not necessarily, doesn't necessarily mean it's, we're being punished or judged. It's simply a result of where we live our lives every single day. Jesus said, and I've quoted this, I think, every single week, John 16, In this world, you will have trouble. He's like, guys, don't be surprised when this stuff comes up against you. You're going to have trouble because you live in a troubled world. You live in a sin-sick world. You live in a world that is heavily influenced by a real enemy. So when bad things happen to Christian people, it's not because God is mad at you. It's not because he doesn't love you. It's not because he has abandoned you. It's because Satan hates your guts. And Satan hates the Jesus that lives in you even more. Bad things happen to good people because we live behind enemy lines. Bad things happen to good people because sin is a disease. We're still living under the results of Adam's failure all the way back in the garden. But I want to remind you today that greater is he that lives in you than he that is in the world. I want to remind you today that that I want you to remember that Jesus has already paid the penalty for your sin. His mercy and His grace is greater than your sin. And I want you to remember today that Satan has already been defeated at the cross. He is defeated. We already have the victory. We live behind enemy lines, but we live behind a defeated enemy. And we see and experience horrible things that flow from the results and the gutter of sin every day. But in the midst of all of that, we can experience overwhelming victory because of Jesus. See, all of Satan's activities 
are based on lies. All of Satan's victories and battles won are based on deception. He is like a dead man walking. Jesus snatched the keys to death, hell, and the grave away from him 2,000 years ago. He's already defeated, but he has convinced most of the world that he is still God. That he is supreme. But his time is limited. And the truth that I want you to hear, listen to me, the truth I want you to hear as children of God is that we have authority over Him through Christ, not the other way around. Satan has no authority over you. The only authority he has over you is what you give him. If you give him permission, he will take it. And he will come in like a flood. The truth is we are victorious. Not we're going to be, not when Jesus comes back, not at some other time and space. The truth is we are already victorious. And listen, our spirit knows that. Are you hearing me? Our spirit knows that. But our flesh does not. So when we listen to our flesh... Instead of our spirit, we remain defeated. But if we will walk by the spirit and not by the flesh, we will walk in overwhelming victory. We see it all around us, even among our Christians walking in defeat every day. We see it in this room, in your families, with your children, in your life. What I'm trying to tell you today is it doesn't have to be that way. For you. This is a tough word, but you can't make anybody else walk in victory. Parents, as much as we want to, we can't make our children walk in victory. But if you will walk according to the Spirit, if you If they begin to see your friends and co-workers and your children and your family begin to see you rising above your circumstances because you're walking by faith and not by sight, because you're walking in victory, because you're walking by the Spirit and not by your flesh. When they begin to see the victory in your life, guess what? They're going to want some. They're going to want to find out what's different about you. And that's your time to share. And it can become a reality in their life as well. How you live your life. Oh my gosh, so many people are looking and watching. Verse 5. Paul says, you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts so, so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus. Verse 7, we, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear. Everybody say clear. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not ourselves. The victory is from him, not us. What a mystery. Come on. Think about what he just said there. That the light and love and hope of the gospel could be contained in me? 
could be contained in you. Paul calls this a fragile clay jar. And yet it is. And how easily a clay jar is broken. But how easily our life is broken. And yet God, listen, God allows us to carry the victory of Jesus Christ in these flawed and fragile bodies. I want you to be encouraged. Look at the screen. Even on your worst day, child of God, you carry the hope of the world. Let that sink. It never fails. On the Sundays that I feel like I have bombed out in the pulpit, and there are plenty. (laughs) On those days when I feel like, dear God, what in the world did I even? I'm like, that was just three strikes and you're out, you know. It never fails. I'll come down and somebody will come up with tears. That's exactly what I needed. And I'm like, what sermon did you hear? Listen, the hope you have in Christ, I want you, oh, I didn't put this on the screen. I should have. Listen, write it down. The hope you have in Christ is not based on your performance. The hope you have in Christ is not based on what is going right or what is going wrong in your life. It is completely based on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago. Take the pressure off. It's Jesus. It's Jesus in you. The hope of glory. Mm. Verse 8. Paul says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We are not down, but we are not destroyed. Listen to this next verse. Through suffering, our bodies... Continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. There was a lot of theology right there. In other words, look at the screen. Through suffering and trials, our flesh is diminished so that Jesus can be exalted. I know that's hard to clap to. (laughs) It's like, oh... I'm not, I'm not sure. John the Baptist put it this way. He said, he must increase. But I must decrease. Well, guess what? That process has a big, long theological name called sanctification. Don't worry about that. That process is not easy. That process is hard, but it's a work of the Holy Spirit that he wants to do in your life to make you more and more like Jesus, to get that flesh down and your spirit up so that people, who's he talking about? He says, so that Jesus may also be seen in our body. Seen by who? Everyone. Everyone. Every place that you are. There's that people will see Jesus and not this. Hmm. How many would agree, let me, sorry, back up, skip to verse uh, 16. By the way, that process is so difficult, but Jesus is Emmanuel. He promises to be with us and to walk with us every step of the way, to never leave us through that process. Verse 16, Paul says, that is why we never give up. Say that. Never give up. Say it again. Never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed. Every day. For our present troubles 
are small? Tell me, tell me who's writing this. Who? Paul just wrote, our present troubles are small. This dude spent most of his Christian life in prison. He would eventually be martyred for the kingdom of God. And he says, our present troubles are small. I wonder what he would say about our troubles. I'll just move right along. Our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen, for the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Look at the screen. Overwhelming victory is all about having the right perspective in Christ. The right perspective. This, this guy had every reason to complain to God. Every reason to whine and complain. God, I thought you were with me. I thought you were on my side. Why am I in this gross, dank, dark dungeon? Aren't you going to rescue me? He could have been looking over that, that chopping block with knowing his head was about to be separated from his body. and he, was about to get, he could have been mad and angry about that. But he said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Perspective in Christ. That's a man who was crucifying his flesh daily. Now, how many would agree that Jesus was victorious in his life? I hope every hand would go up. I think he was overwhelmingly Victorious. He conquered sin, death, and hell. He conquered Satan. But where was that victory secured? Where did the real battle take place? Was it at Caiaphas' house during the trial? Was it at Pilate, before Pilate or Herod? Was the battle won after he was crucified? Or maybe, surely, the battle was won when he rose from the dead. Let me show you where the real battle was won. And it may surprise you. Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. Jesus was feeling overwhelmed with sorrow. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now, I've felt overwhelmed in my life. Anybody else? I have gone through, even when I was a child, all the way up through till now, there's been different times in my life where I felt overwhelmed. But I have never in my life felt overwhelmed to the point of death. But I know that there are people in this room under the sound of my voice who have. It's real. It's real. Let's see what happens. Verse 39. Jesus went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying. Somebody say praying. Praying. My father. That literally means, if you translate it out, it means dad, daddy, Abba. If it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. If you read this further, which we're not going to, you'll find he prayed this three times. 
three times he prayed it until his sweat became as great drops of blood. Biologically, it's possible. They proved that you can become that stressed in your body that you begin to sweat blood. The Son of God prayed for relief. That means I can pray for relief too. Come on, somebody. It's never wrong to go to God for relief, for rescue, for help. But when we do, we also have to trust in the goodness and the sovereignty of His answer that may not line up with what we want. But trust His will. Trust His plan. And of course, we know that the Father did not remove that cup from Jesus and He went to the cross willingly. But let me tell you something. The battle was won in the garden. Because see, Jesus was fully God. But He was also fully man. The battle wasn't with His spirit. The battle was with his flesh. His flesh didn't want to be tortured and nailed to a cross. Come on. And our battle isn't with our spirit. It's with our flesh. So here's the big idea. Overwhelming victory doesn't always look like a party. Sometimes it looks like a funeral. I really thought we were going to party today. I got my title, and I thought, this is going to be fun. We're going to shout. We're going to have a good time. We're going to, woo, hoop and holler. That's the world's version of a celebration, of a victory. It's March, March Madness, right, Tyler? Every time they, a team wins, they run out onto the court, and there's a huge celebration. I'm sure there's a party afterwards. I was at a wedding yesterday, beautiful wedding, and there was a celebration with food and dancing, and, and everybody was happy. But in the spirit realm, our flesh has to die. There has to be a funeral before there's a victory. Our flesh has to die so that our spirit is unhindered. Until our flesh dies, victory will elude us. And Jesus won the battle on his knees. He had to spiritually crucify his flesh before he physically went to the cross. For us to truly experience overwhelming victory, our flesh must die so that our spirit can live and move and direct our steps. This is the same final point I gave to our discipleship crew on Wednesday night. Right here, look at the screen. Whatever you feed gets stronger. I'm bringing it home right here. Whatever you feed gets stronger. If you feed your flesh by always giving in to whatever it desires, that appetite will only grow. It will get bigger and stronger and soon it will overwhelm your life and you won't even be able to feel the Spirit of God, let alone be directed by the Spirit. But if you feed your Spirit through prayer, worship, Bible study, serving in the body of Christ, mentorship, getting with somebody who you can sharpen each other, you can hold each other accountable, making sure you stay attached to the body of Christ. That's why I get so passionate about always missing church, y'all. 
about if, if anything better comes up, anything more desirable, we always do that. It's, it should be the other way around. We should be telling people, I'm sorry, I can't go because I have to go be with the body of Christ. I need to worship with Him. I need the strength that comes from the Word of God. Your spirit will get stronger if you do those things. And you'll find that over time it will be easier and easier to win the battle against your flesh and against the enemy that attacks. Paul asks in that first verse, he says, does it mean God no longer loves us if something bad happens to us? He says, no, despite all of the problems, overwhelming victory is ours in Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads? 